welcome to Same Team, an LGBTQ sports podcast. I am your host, Daniel Trainer. How are you? Thank you very much for listening. Appreciate your time today. It is the first episode being released during Pride Month. How about that? June 2019, the first episode during this month that we sort of reflect and celebrate and, and, and do all of those sorts of things. And, and if I can just take a moment to reflect a little bit on this podcast. I mean, if you listen regularly, thank you very much. It has brought so much into my life over the past little while. And uh, I'm feeling particularly uh, excited about that as, as we are here in the month of June in, in Pride Month. It just feels like a good time to acknowledge that. If uh, this is the first time that you have listened, thank you very much. Thanks for checking uh, the show out. I, I think you've picked a really great episode today because, uh, to tell you the truth, it might be the one I'm the most proud of. I, I think it's it's a great story. So my guest today is uh, Haley of Idecus. If you don't know Haley's story, uh, hang on because it's a roller coaster and it's crazy, uh, but it's very important. I, I knew Haley's story uh, pretty well coming into our chat. I didn't know Haley. I'd never met Haley. Uh, and right off the bat, the two of us just hit it off. I, I related to her on so many levels. It's almost like I don't want to spoil the story because Haley does such a wonderful job illustrating it and telling it. I, I kind of want the story to be hers. So that's what I'm going to kind of do here. But but just briefly, Haley uh, is a former collegiate basketball player. Uh, she played at Arizona State then transferred to Pepperdine uh, where some things went down. And it's it, it's a crazy story, but it, it's one that is a trailblazing sort. I think we're going to look back in years and, and think that Haley is, is a trailblazer and a pioneer in so many ways in, in LGBTQ rights in sports. And, and hopefully, you know, as we move forward, things are only getting better because of people like her. So, you know, I, I hope you enjoy her story. It's it's not always great. It's not always easy. But I think as LGBTQ people, we know that and we relate to that and we understand that and we know how that goes. So hopefully you relate to Haley and, and you can and you can thank her for everything that now she's doing to sort of look back on on her life and and sort of compartmentalize and learn and teach. And, and I think, as you'll hear her say, sort of educate the next generation so maybe things aren't as difficult for them. I, I loved my chat with Haley. I, I, it was so much fun, but it was also so informative, and, and it was just it was really great. So I'm really proud to release this episode. It's the first one during Pride Month. I think it's a, I, I think it's a great story to, to tell, and, and like I said, I, hopefully this podcast and people like Haley might make it a little bit easier for, for people who are coming up now. So without any further ado, here is my uh, same team. One-on-one conversation with Haley Vidakis. I'm really excited that we're getting the chance to uh, to talk. So am I. Thanks for having me. Of course. So you are you you're from Illinois, is that correct? Yes. Where where in Illinois? Um, I'm from the northwest suburbs of Chicago. It's a town called Bartlett. Okay, so I went to most of my high school in Naperville um, oh. and then lived in Illinois for, I lived in Illinois twice growing up for, for three years and then about three and a half years. So I'm sort of familiar with Illinois, but I don't know that I know Bartlett very well. What was, uh, what was Bartlett like growing up? 
You know, Bartlett was a very small town. And now that I'm in LA, I have different views of what Bartlett was like because now I'm in this huge city and it's so much different. Um, but yeah, it was a small town. Everyone knew each other. Um, our neighborhood was so close. We could leave our doors unlocked. It was very safe. And um, it was it was a just tight-knit town. Um, I would say it was a little more on the conservative side than, you know, what L.A. is like in my experience. And um, there there weren't a ton of things to do all of the time, especially <laughs> yeah. with the winter. I know. Yeah. So what, what would you do? I, I say for most of my childhood, I did sports yeah. all of the time. Other than, you know, going to the mall or the movies, things like that. Um, so sports is pretty much what I did my entire life growing up up until leaving for Arizona State. Yeah, I know. It's funny. I recently saw a couple of my high school friends who I hadn't seen in a long time. We were just sort of reminiscing about what we used to do. And we like couldn't remember what we did did and like the answer <laughs> the answer is just like we just used to drive around like, yeah no and that's actually another thing that was something like we'd text our friends and be like all right you want to go for a drive and that yes. was the thing that yeah. we did just drove around it was so fun like we just used to i remember i was always the one who drove i don't i mean i don't really know why but that was just i, I was just a designated one and i i remember my like my car was always filled with CDs. Like I used to love CDs oh, and still yeah. buy CDs. And so we would just like listen to cool music and drive around and like go to like Red Robin and like go to the <laughs> movies and like go to Panera. Like we just like right? thought we like ruled oh. the town. And looking back, it's like, I mean, not that it's depressing. It's just, it's so simple and so nice. It's like, I kind of wish I could go back to that. I know it's, that is actually makes me remember so much more of my experience because yeah, we would, Panera was a thing back then oh, because yeah. there are only so many places. Like, the bread bowls were no joke. I mean, still no joke, but like a trip to Panera in high school was like, that's a special night. The bread bowls. Yep. Did you have Sonic? No, I don't think so. I don't think there was, I mean, no, I don't think there was a Sonic in Naperville where I was, and I know that I think they're like Sonics in Michigan. I'm from Michigan originally. I think they're Michigan. Okay. I think they're Sonics in Michigan now. But I don't think we had Sonic. We had like I remember we used to go to Steak and Shake a lot. Oh yeah, Steak and Shake is the place. All of the places that out here are a little bit very you know on the common side. So oh, hundred <laughs> percent. I know it's funny how like your fast food memories as a kid, like you just become so loyal to these places. You know. Uh like when I go back to the Midwest and I see some of the spots I used to go, it's like, oh, my heart flutters a little bit. <laughs> I know. I, I took Leona there actually for the first time um, two years ago. And we had driven across the country. So we came all the way from California to Illinois and we did that 30 plus hour uh, road trip. It's so I did that by myself in like 2012. I drove from Detroit out to L.A. and it still is like one of my favorite memories. Yeah, good for you. That's a tough drive to make. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was. But I, I just like crisscrossed and just like went to cities I wanted to go to and saw friends all over the country. It was such a, it was such a cool time. But anyway, sorry, I cut you off as you were talking about your road trip. Oh yeah, no. Um, I mean, it was different for her because you have to pass through a lot of cornfields <laughs> to get to my town. Yeah. And so, now, where it was, is where is she from originally? 
So she's from LA. Um, a little bit different. Yeah, a little bit different. Um, actually, she's from Lancaster. I don't know okay. if you're familiar with that, but a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so when we were driving, she started to panic because we were going through <laughs> all these cornfields and it was really late and dark and there was just no sign of civilization for a long time. And we had to stop the car and she was kind of crying. And I'm like, are you going to be okay? She's like, are we going to be okay here? Like, what are we going to do? I'm like, no, it's going to be fine. I've done it for 18 years. We can do this. And it was just, it, w- it made me realize just coming from, you know, a smaller town, town out here, it's a completely different experience, but totally. it, it, you know, you always have that Midwestern in you. Oh, for sure. I know. Like I have friends who are from sort of like LA, you know, quote unquote LA suburbs, which is always such a funny thing. Cause it's not quite, I mean, you're still like in the shadow of LA and like even these suburbs sort of have a big city vibe to them sometimes. But I have friends who were like, I want to, I want to go back to the Midwest with you and like go to a football game and like, <laughs> and like tailgate. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> The football games are big. Yeah, for sure. So, so you're an athlete just all throughout, all throughout growing up, and then obviously into high school. I mean, that was just sort of your identity. In high school, were you just the the star basketball player? Is that sort of your deal? You know, I guess so. I now that I look back, that's pretty much how I recognize myself and how everybody knew me. I played soccer my freshman year. I did varsity soccer, but it kind of came down to having to choose between one of the two sports. So I went with basketball Um, just because I've always really loved basketball. I had a a deep passion for it. And so that's pretty much what I was committed to in school. Like I, I had really good grades and I kept those strong, but it was always basketball was my priority. Yeah. So you're playing all this, all this basketball and, and looking towards your future. Are you giving any thought to your sexuality in high school? Does that come into play at all? You know, it never does for me because at the time, actually during, through my entire high school career, I was dating the same guy. So we were kind of like high school sweethearts and, you know, never once did I, you know, question my sexuality and I never really explored it either. I think a lot of that has to do with the smaller town I grew up in. Mm -hmm. My family was very, very Catholic. We were religious. There was one church in our small town. So you know, we had the priest over at our house several times, which you never really see out here. <laughs> yeah, um, no. Yeah, it was it was a different experience. And so I think for that reason, religion was so intertwined in my day to day life that um, I kind of knew the repercussions and I kind of stayed away from it. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, all of this small townness and being there your entire life, you mentioned, you know, you initially go to Arizona State, which is uh, pretty far from home. Is that did that play into your decision? You just kind of wanted to get out and get as far away as possible. I did. I really, really wanted to go to the West Coast and ASU luckily gave me that opportunity. And it was it was incredible. It was a huge change. I had some friends that did go to ASU that I knew of, but um, I mean, the weather, you know, come three, 360, it's completely yeah. different. Um, and it's a very big school in the basketball program. I mean, coach Charlie, she has 
an incredible record and um, she's built that program to be very strong. So it was like entering a whole new world compared to the high school that I went to. Um, we actually went downstate my senior year. So, you know, we, we were competing and um, we were doing well, but going into the Pac-12, I think I didn't really anticipate, you know, what a big shift that was going to be because yeah. that all becomes, you know, your entire life. Yeah. So, I mean, it must be pretty crazy and chaotic, not only to be so far from home, you're in this new state where you don't know that many people add on to that. The fact that you're a collegiate athlete at a very competitive school and a very competitive sport. I mean, was your head just spinning the entire time? Um, I, I was definitely overwhelmed at times. I remember like the middle of that season, my freshman year, I started to it started to hit me just the amount of training and intensity that, you know, we had been going on the entire summer. I actually skipped out on my high school graduation and got to ASU in May so I could start summer school early and start training early. So I was really, you know, just trying to um, get in and train. And um, I did, I did really well, but um, I actually, when I got there, I was told that I was going to be playing a forward and I didn't really understand what that would entail for me coming from high school and the guard shooting guard position in the Pac-12. If you're a forward, you have to be putting on a ton of muscle because you're going up against girls um, six feet and up who are yeah. very strong. Um, I think, yeah, I think Neka Gumake, I think I had played against her my freshman year and I was guarding, you know, one of the Gumakes yeah. and they're incredible, but they're very tall athletic and <laughs> it's hard yeah i could i can imagine you just like get just shoved into this world it must just be completely overwhelming especially for a freshman in college who has to deal with all the other stuff that comes along with being a freshman in college you know yeah definitely so so walk me through you know what happens next i i sort of know your story a little bit for for people who are listening who don't uh what happens next at asu so what happens next is um, I actually came down with a pretty bad ankle injury in the season, and um, that definitely impacted me, but it was difficult to recover from that because I had put on so much weight from this intensive weight training and muscle building. And for me, uh, I learned that year that my body puts on muscle very, very fast. So yeah. the combination of muscle milk and, um, you know, increasing your, uh, weight, it really hit my body. And I went from, I actually went from being the fastest player on the team to one of the slowest over the course of, um, half of a season, just from the weight that I was putting on. And, um, with the amount of guards on our team, I had talked to the coaches and there really didn't seem like there was going to be a shift in my position. And for that reason, you know, I looked in the mirror, I didn't like what was becoming of my body, I didn't think it was healthy for me. And so I wanted to um, see if I could play at a school that one would see me in this guard position, but also be more lenient, and give me that freedom to not have to put on this, you know, bulk and muscle that yeah wasn't healthy. Yeah. So when you make the decision to sort of look elsewhere, are these conversations that you're having with your parents, with family? I mean, how, how do they feel about the entire thing? 
Yeah, I, my mom was happy about it. Uh, she commented on my weight several <laughs> times, and nice, nice. she was concerned. Yeah, I'm um, sure that was fun. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. But <laughs> these, yeah, these conversations were definitely a part of the new school that I was going to be looking for. Um, it was top on my priority list that the school that I went to would not require me to drink muscle milk, that my weightlifting regimen would be flexible and that I could build agility, work on losing some of this weight and muscle that had been slowing me down and actually help me quicken up and get my footwork um, just faster and overall, overall build more flexibility and athleticism and put that back into my game. So, um, yeah, it, it came down to uh, University of Michigan and Pepperdine. Mm-hmm. Those are the two offers. And it's funny because University of Michigan is so much closer to home. <laughs> I was going to say, man. Yeah. No, that was that was one of my options for the reason. But I came to find out that it wouldn't be as different that than I thought it would be. So I essentially would, you know, be in that same elite high intensive um, weight training regimen. And Pepperdine was a school that um, was more faith-based, academic focused. Um, Actually, our head coach at the time said it is faith, academics, and then basketball. And that was something I hadn't heard before. It seemed to be more balanced because Mm -hmm. athletics, you know, rules pretty and dominates um, an athlete's life. So he told me, absolutely would never have to touch muscle milk. I don't even think that they required it. So I was like, this is awesome. Wait, so and is, is, is it, it, how much muscle milk is Arizona State requiring you to drink on a daily basis? You know, I don't know exactly what we were being required to drink, but I know um, they made us smoothies that, you know, had muscle milk in it. And I was, I was on a pretty strict weightlifting regimen where it wasn't just um, how often I was doing it. It was how often I was maxing out and, you know, putting on that muscle. So when I did drink the muscle milk, it would substantially impact my body. So I I think I was drinking muscle milk daily at one point during the summer. So you must must go into like a grocery store and see and have like PTSD. Absolutely. (laughs) Get this stuff away from me. No muscle milk. Yeah. Also, I'm sure your choice to go to sort of stick on the West Coast and not go to U of M and as a Michigan State grad, I think you made the right decision. Um, (laughs) You were were like, like, I've gotten a taste of like sunshine. I'm not going back to the winter. (laughs) Right. And that was huge, too, because if you've ever seen Pepperdine's campus. I have. I have. I went. It was there for a baseball game randomly last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Michigan um, State was playing Pepperdine in baseball. So I went. I just thought it'd be something fun to do. I'd never been there before and always kind of wanted to go. And yeah, I mean, it's it's stunning. It is. And especially baseball. I mean, they're an outdoor sport and their field overlooks the Pacific, especially like the track. Yeah. Um, it's it's, it's almost it's almost graphic. silly. It's it's like it's it really yeah. it's like literally is like, you know, if, if you were to see some sort of high school thing about like kids in in a fancy you know california high school or college it's like that's what you would see and think okay but it's like real well and you know zoe 101 was filmed on pepperdine oh i know and you're speaking to my heart as a big fan of just the spears family in general uh we support zoe 101 on this podcast uh indefinitely (laughs) did you ever see them like film were they filming when you were there 
Um, I never saw them filming when I was there. I don't know if they were still filming, yeah, but I remember, not. you know, the campus from that show growing oh, up. Iconic. That's was, you, was you, like can be, nostalgic. You, you can be honest. That's the reason you went there. <laughs> you know, subconsciously, who knew? Who, who knows? knows? Who knows? So, I mean, it, it's interesting to me that you mention, you know, the religion aspect of it, because, you know, at this point, when you make the decision to transfer there, it sounds like the fact that, you know, it, it was so faith forward was attractive to you. Is that is that right? Absolutely. Um, at Arizona State, towards the end of my season, I started becoming heavily involved with FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And um, they were really involved in the athletic department at ASU and some of my teammates would go. So I had started getting really deep in my faith towards the end of that season. Um, and it, it not only helped me in basketball, I finished um, with a really, really great season. Um, and I had, a, I had a great year, but also it just, it grounded me in so many ways and it helped me in school. And I thought I had just bought a Bible, literally, that's how serious I was taking this. So I was like, you know, religion, this is a good thing for me. This is something that's attracting me to the school and it, it, it will help improve my athletic performance. And I've, I've talked to people on this podcast before about religion, you know, people who've grown up very religious in religious households, um, sort of treating religion as, as some sort of, you know, a stabilizing force in, in their lives. And I assume it was kind of like that for you, you know, being a freshman at Arizona State, just kind of like, you know, all, all these, you know, to use a terrible pun, all these balls in the air at, at the same time, <laughs> you know, I, I imagine, I imagine religion was, you know, a way for you to feel sort of centered, right? And, and something to grasp onto that was at least somewhat tangible in, in a world that was probably, you know, moving at 200 miles an hour. Yeah, when we were on the uh, recruiting visit um, for my first visit, I was with my mom and they took us to the chapel on campus, um, which they have. I don't know if you saw that when you were there, but they so. have um, it's mandatory weekly convocations, which is the entire school will go to the gymnasium actually on the basketball court that we play on. And there'll be a huge congregation for um, a chapel ceremony. And it was just so intertwined, not only um, on the campus itself, but also in the um, academics. I think it, you're required to take religion at Pepperdine, um, at least several years of it. And I just felt, yeah, I felt drawn to it. I felt like, you know, I had been confirmed. Um, I had my communion, baptism. I, I felt like, you know, this this would really be a good thing for me. So there was no red flags. <laughs> in, so and in terms of your sexuality at this point, I mean, you you know, for all intents and purposes, you are not even thinking about girls. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So, OK, so how does that evolve? So we so we get to Pepperdine and then walk me through what, you know, your first experiences are like. So I get to Pepperdine and things are going great. I'm a transfer, so I have to redshirt an entire yeah. year. But in my eyes, I'm thinking, that's great. This is a year where I can lose this weight. I can improve my game um, and I'll come back out the next year and I'll have three years of eligibility. It was just so bright looking to the future. And I was very excited about that. So things went 
very well. And um, towards the end of that fall season, our coach announced that we were going to be having another transfer from the University of Arizona. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And so everybody looked at me wondering, you know, if I knew her. And we had played against Arizona, actually, because in their arrival. Yeah. And um, I really, you know, I didn't know her specifically. I probably shaked her hand on the court, but um, that's about it. And so that's that's when I was introduced to Leana and she came with her family. And a month or so later, she committed to the school. And that's when we became very close, just as transfers in general, we train together we couldn't travel with our team for away games so Mm. the transfers would you know really group together just to train um when your team was away so that is the uh, foreshadowing yeah it's such a specific story it's so great i like love just like the (laughs) fact that you're there from arizona state she comes from arizona you're both transfers you can't do anything and it's like you sort of it's it's like i've never heard anything like that yeah yeah i've never heard anything like that before it's it's like beautiful so okay so she comes and then so you how quickly do you two hit it off is it just it's just friendship at first, I presume, right? You guys are sort of feeling each other out. You're in the similar situation. It must be nice to have somebody who's going through it as well. You guys are friends, right? Yeah, we're friends. And, our, you know, our Pac-12 experiences were so congenial in so many ways because that intensity of that league is like none other that I've heard from the WCC. So we understood, you know, the struggles of, she understood the struggles that I had with the weight gaining and the um, weight lifting. And, you know, I assured her when she got there, it's not anything like Arizona, yeah. Arizona State. This is, it was really, I mean, it was challenging in ways, but um, you really couldn't compare that intensity. And so um, we, we hit it off in a lot of ways. And, the one thing I think that really um, changed my perspective slowly was Leana um, was really open about her sexuality and she was so fluid. I mean, when she came in, she was dating a football player from U of A and, you know, she talked about the boyfriend and then at the same time um, we were in her dorm room one night with her brother and one of our other teammates. And she asked me, um, you know, is it true that this school's, you know, really against um, same-sex couples? And, like, are they really homophobic here? Because her ex-girlfriend went to the school. And when oh. she texted her that she was coming to the school, she's like, you can't tell anyone. Like, my family works at the school, and it's not allowed. And so when she asked me that for the first time, it really made me realize how have I been existing in this world for so long and not even considering the experiences of um, LGBT people? Because mm-hmm. it was just an experience that didn't impact me. And so um, I was curious to know her, um, to know more about her. And just slowly, I just started opening my eyes to this world that um, I, I hadn't, I had been in all along. And in so many ways, it makes sense, right? I mean, you're coming from a small town where, I mean, you probably, I mean, did you know any gay people in Bartlett? Um, 
I did. There were very, very few. And those who I did know um, really struggled, not just with their families, but just being visible in general. Um, One of them that I do know of, he ended up moving to West Hollywood right after graduation. And um, it was hard. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's interesting how I, I think, you know, when you're when you're from a small town and maybe not even a small town, just just a less accepting place in general, um, it, it can take some time, you know, and I, I think that I think that that's interesting. So so you and Liana are, are hanging out. You're getting to know each other. I, I bet you know the answer to this question. When what is the first time when you kind of looked at her a little bit differently and was like, uh oh. You know, it's so funny because I remember the exact moment and it's like time will flash before your eyes and you don't even know what it's what's going on. It's surreal. And it was the day that she started asking these questions um, about Pepperdine and what her ex-girlfriend had said. And it was funny because when she said my ex, I assumed it was a guy and I was like, oh, who is he? And she was like, no, it's a girl. And I just was really caught in my own assumptions that I was like, wow, like she's different. And not only is she different, but she embraces who she is. And I love that. I love that she's confident. I love that she has a boyfriend, but um, she's saying that he doesn't have to worry here because she can't date girls. (laughs) You know, I'm like, yeah funny it's it's funny but it's also um it's a lot of things at once yeah and I think that's pretty much when I um I started to open my eyes up but later down the line I would say a couple months after she transferred is when um we really started developing feelings for each other and it, it was hard because we were at a school that we knew we could not be out at and, you know, there are no gay students on campus, um, no one in faculty, no one on the coaching staff. And if they were, they they were hiding like some of our teammates. So um, I think that pressure also kind of impacted the attraction because when you're falling in love with someone in a place that you know that you can't, um, it really taps into emotions that you don't normally experience and this heteronormative culture and society that expects you to be with someone of the opposite sex. So, I mean, what a crazy thing. I mean, you you transfer to this school that is so faith oriented and and so religious and like, all right, this is great. I'm going to embrace all of this. And then a couple months later, you're like, Oh my God, I'm falling in love with a woman. Like it must've just been like insane. Yeah, it was. That's one way to put it. It was totally insane. Yeah. So, okay. So then, you know, how does this sort of evolve? I mean, you guys get to the point where you realize that, you know, you want to be more than friends and you can't, I mean, it, 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 it's like a, it's like a movie, you know? I mean, did it feel, (laughs) did it feel that way? I mean, did it feel like you two were living in some sort of like bizarre fairy tale? I mean, how, how did you have conversations about like what, you know, what to, what to do next? So looking back at it, now that I can detach myself emotionally from the situation, it is totally like a movie. And I'm actually right now um, writing a memoir and I've been writing it for um, several months. So I'm in the process of finishing it up. And as I write it, I put together all these pieces and I just see so many different things from when I actually experienced it. And it helps me to understand and 
heal from a lot of the hurt that came with it and see Mm -hmm. the beauty. But at the time, it was difficult because we were in a full-blown panic. Um, This was something that, you know, for me, I've been used to dating guys and holding their hands and having them kiss me in public and expecting that kind of affection. And then all of a sudden, I'm at this it's not just really, it's church of Christ religious. So extremely, um, conservative. And, um, I mean, they had denied for decades, their LGBT club to form on campus. So there's not even a club, not that I was thinking about that at the time, but just to, for you to get an idea of what it looked like. Yeah. And, um, it was, it was really hard because, we could not be affectionate with each other. We had to pretend that we were friends. Um, we tried to distance ourselves from the silliest things like walking into the gym for practice. We would go at separate times or in different cars or make sure that we weren't raising any suspicion. But somewhere along the lines, um, our coach had a meeting and it just shocked us with a lot of fear. Leana wasn't there for this specific meeting, but he had devised a leadership council within the team. So Leana was picked, I was picked, and um, some of the captains from the previous year. And he decided this meeting to talk about lesbianism and how it was a big problem in women's basketball. And he pointed to some um, very famous coaches like Cheryl Swoops, And he talked about just along the lines of how women's basketball in general um, is completely broken by females dating. And it just it, it was really shocking at first, but it really felt to me like he was talking about lesbianism, like it was some kind of disease. And we were discussing it at the same time of discussing core covenants that are basically rules that he wanted to implement. So it was it was kind of in the context of being a rule. I mean, so first of all, this is obviously the craziest thing that's ever happened, and and just so just so nuts. But so what what made him do this? I mean, did he have an inclination about you two? I have no idea, and that's kind of why I was panicking in the meeting because I was wondering, you know, is this directed at me in some really screwed up way? Because he didn't address me specifically, he didn't address anyone. He was just generally speaking about lesbianism. I mean, and it's I, the cra- I mean, it's just insane. I mean, it's. Yeah. You, I mean, you must have been sitting there, but also like you probably want to look around at your teammates and be like, "Get a load of this guy!" But like, you can't because you're like, "Oh, wait, do they know? Wait, does he right. know? like what's yeah, happening? Is this about me? So does everybody know?" That, that it's so funny you said that because I was looking, you know, in very short glances around the table, like, are people looking at me? Like, what's going on? Because in that meeting, there were girls who we had known within our team are bi or um, identified as lesbian. You know, we didn't really use the labels like kind of is used today. So um, we just knew like some of the girls had relationships with other girls or outside of the team, but it was so low key. And it was only between a very small tight knit group of girls who we felt safe to discuss that with. And um, there was loyalty. So 
I don't, I wasn't concerned that anyone had said anything because essentially they'd also be putting their own relationships in jeopardy. I mean, what a crazy thing to bring into the world of women's basketball, right? Where, where LGBTQ people are so prominent and and have had so much success and in, in most cases, well, maybe not most, but in a lot of cases are celebrated for it. And it's, it's, it's a thing, right? And it's, to bring that to a world where, you, you know, you, you feel like, okay, at least here I can be around people who will understand. At least here I can be around people who get it. To have your coach of all people to come in out of nowhere and just say, hey, lesbianism is is ruining the sport of women's basketball. It's like, what? What? What are you? Mm-hmm. What are you? What are you doing? Yeah. It, it was so difficult to deal with that. And I mean, what I know now, I can just critique that for days of why so many aspects about it are wrong. But then, you know, the younger me who's just getting involved with a girl for the first time knows nothing about this movement in general, knows nothing to the extent that women are stereotyped to be les- lesbian in women's basketball I didn't realize that that meeting was essentially just a warning of the microscope he was now going to be putting on our private lives. Mm -hmm. Um, Because never do you hear a male coach sitting down with his male team talking about, I don't even know the equivalent, but just banning um, homosexuality on the team. You, You wouldn't see a male coach doing that because they would think that there's something going on with him that's really weird and the guys would react much differently but for us we were all quiet and no one said a word we just let him talk well and even like you know on a on a on a men's college basketball team it's almost celebrates like, Hey, Oh, you know, you had a great game today. All right. I want you to go see your girlfriend, you know, like this sort of like mm-hmm. macho nature of, of men's college basketball and men's sports in general. It's quite the opposite, right? It's, it's, you're a man. If you have a girlfriend, you know, like, Oh, there's my girl in the stands, like all this stuff. It's like having that is, is almost celebrated. It's like, that's all, oh, that's the cool guy who has like the hot girlfriend and like all this stuff. It's no coach would ever say anything about, that i'm so so this meeting happens what so when it ends what what is the i mean what is the reaction of everybody in the room and then how quickly do you text on and be like uh we have a problem (laughs) yeah so essentially right after the meeting i talked to liana and i was walking with one of my teammates who also i knew was in a relationship with a girl and she'd been dating her for so many years and you know, we were worried. We're like, this is really bad. What's going on? Why is he talking about this? And, um, when we told Leona, she was worried. Um, and we just tried to ignore it because that was really all we knew how to do. We didn't want to speak up or, um, bring it up to him because that would just be shining a light on ourselves and kind of make us look guilty because in the moment, he's my coach. He's really the authoritative figure. And who am I to argue against him with his rules? You know, it's like he's banning drinking. He's banning drugs, of course. He's banning going out and partying before game nights. And he's banning lesbianism. So am I going to speak up in that moment? 
now I absolutely would. But in, in that moment, I was so terrified. I didn't even know what to do. I know. Isn't that the worst? I've had moments like that too, where looking back, I, I just wish I had the knowledge and the confidence that I do now in situations <laughs> when I was younger to stand up to people instead of just cowering and just taking it as the status quo. You know, like I, I've had moments yeah. like that. For me, it's been like in the workplace, not so much on, on a team, but it's like, uh, just, you know, you wish you could go back and just and do it all again and just and, and just stand up and say, hey, absolutely not. And, and just stand, <laughs> just stand up for yourself. But it's 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 so it's so easy in retrospect. I mean, when you're in that moment, it's just like, oh, my God, it's just shocking. Like up is down. Left is right. Like you just want right. to get you just want to get out of the situation. And, you know, for a lot of women, too, who are playing basketball right now. It's real, the internalized homophobia that we have about ourselves as women dating other women in sport. We almost convince ourselves of the stereotypes that it is bad, that it is, this is a very popular word, but it causes drama and just these key words that really kind of um, shut us up in many ways. So, I mean, women still struggle with it because of internalized homophobia. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so what happens next? I mean, what, what are the next steps, uh, in, in terms of what happens with the team and then what happens with you and Liana? So after this meeting, um, there's just so much that happens. It's, it's really hard to summarize, but, um, if I can give you like the key things that were going on during the time we started to have questions asked of our relationship by our academic coordinator and Leona spent a lot of time in study hall. So she got asked a ton of questions, you know, about Haley and whether or not we were BFFs or if we were more than that, or if we pushed our beds together and what? really strange, strange questions hey, that uh, yeah. you guys push your beds together or <laughs> It's just weird. It's like, oh god, just people not knowing how to ask questions about stuff like that is. I mean, I don't want to say that it's funny, but it's just like it's just kind of. You just have to laugh. Yeah, and at first we did. We were like, this is weird. She's a little strange, a little bit um, wants TMI, but you know, she's like, you're asking, you're asking some very specific questions here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, that was going on. And um, at first, we didn't really think much of it. But the questions continued and um, events continued within the program that really started to um, make us worry that people really were looking at our relationship. Um, Our coach had more meetings in the summer regarding um, when he was a coach for the Los Angeles Sparks. He said that two girls were dating on the team and they broke up in season. And that is why they lost and did not make it to the championship. And so he would recount these stories from his days in professional. And of course, they were never directly related to his experience with the L.A. Lakers, but always with women's teams and the WNBA. And so um, we heard stories about that and it just kind of clarified that um, this, you know, he was really interested to see who was dating and um, he didn't 
tolerate this in his locker room. Um, and then slowly it became more apparent when our teammates were coming to us and warning us that he was pulling them into their offices and asking questions not only about their sexuality and who they were dating, but whether Leon and I were dating. Ugh. Yeah, so that became really difficult because he wasn't um, directly approaching us, but things were happening behind the scenes. So um, during this whole period of time, it's really difficult. We're blindsided by a lot of things that are going on, a lot of rules that are getting put into place, a lot of punishments and violations that start to happen that are directly related towards Leona at first. Um, and then we go into the summer and we have a really, really serious cheating accusation that happens by the academic coordinator who's been asking us these personal questions and who um, Leona had asked the coach if she could stop having private study hall sessions with because of her questions. And it was the first major and evident attempt that they were trying to get us removed from the school. Um, because I was accused of writing Leona's paper. And it was in a study hall room where no one was. It was just us and the academic coordinator. And she never asked to see what I was working on. She never asked us if I was writing her paper at the time. I was just called in the next day um, by her alone. And then we were end up calling, end up called in by the um, head um, he was the head uh, athletic compliance director at the school with our coaches who, in our view at the time, had no idea what was going on. We later come to find out they had been having meetings and acted like they didn't know what was going on. So it was it was really, really bad. They ended up not doing anything. Um, they just made Liana print out her paper and see if it sounded like <laughs> written by her <laughs> what does that even mean <laughs> i know it, and so there's a lot of racial nuances that well, happen right i mean I, I was I, I right i was gonna say i mean to see if it sounds like her i mean that that seems like a very loaded phrase right and so at this time too Leona is getting straight A's and it's super important in the summer that she gets straight A's so she can move off campus at the end of the summer um, because you have to have over a 3.0 to move off campus. And so she, even though she had good grades at the time, she had to be um, getting them for so long since she had just transferred. Mm -hmm. And so um, this was actually posing a threat to her being able to move off campus, which would mean more privacy. It would mean more of a boundary between, you know, this campus culture and her own personal life. So that that was really that was really difficult when that happened, and then um, as we move towards the fall, but just so, one so of the not not to cut you off, but the so yeah. the, the cheating thing. I mean, was that what was the point of of making that accusation? Was it to try and get you guys to to leave? Was it was it to try and get you guys to quit? I mean, what what was the point of doing that if they were just eventually going to drop it? Yeah, so the cheating accusation, it was basically aimed at getting us 
to be kicked out of the school (laughs) because when we walked into the room, we had our director of compliance sitting at a very, very long desk with a large binder and our academic coordinator sitting at the end of the table. And the first thing he essentially said after going over what happened was that um, this is going to cause us to lose our scholarships and that we would be kicked out of the school for academic misconduct. And um, it was pretty clear in that meeting that they were trying to kick us out of the school. And the only reason it got dropped was when Leona's mom stepped in and emailed our coach, um, basically saying, why is my daughter being accused of something with no evidence? You know, she's been getting great grades. And they were going to turn in that paper she printed out to her professor to tell them there was suspicion. It was written by me and not by her. And they ended up just dropping everything. Jesus. I mean, it has to be so demoralizing to be going through all of this. Yeah, it was. That was really hard. I mean, it's just like it it must just be like, I mean, it's so many things, but it's I mean, at, at the core, it must just be just embarrassing. You know, to be doing this and you're like, what, like, what, why? Like, especially her. I mean, she's, she's doing great in school to, to get accused of not doing her own work. It's, it's just, it's, it's so sad. Yeah. It, it, that really started to impact our mental health at that time because, you know, I had always gotten straight A's in school. Um, I'd always like maintained academic integrity and, you know, we had teammates who really didn't care about school. I mean, (laughs) one was on academic probation. Um, Several of them were struggling to even stay above the lowest GPA that you had to maintain to be eligible. And um, a lot of them didn't care about school. They didn't go to class. And there was this huge spotlight on us and what we were doing. It just seemed really um, unfair. Yeah, it sure sounds like it. So I, did you guys just think about quitting? I mean, if I'm in your shoes, I, I like I, I can imagine I, I, on most days I would just consider throwing my hands up and being like, I am I'm out of here. I'm done with this. I don't need this. Yeah, that um, it was, you know, now that I think back, it, it probably did go through my mind several times. I just had such a love for the game and wanting to play and also wanting to play with Liana because we were going to be so great together. I mean, we ran open gyms so many times and um, she actually started a tradition at the school, getting USC players to come and run open gyms with us, which at Pepperdine is like a really big deal. That's mm. elite competition that we get to play with um, on the weekdays and weekends. And so we were really preparing, even though all this outside stuff was going on. We were having team meetings. Um, Leanne and I organized a lot of this just to build team chemistry, to get to know our teammates, to set goals for the upcoming season. So it was like we had so much momentum into the future. We were just trying to handle what we could with the resources we had, which weren't much, but we just were trying to do the best we could. Yeah. Okay. So, so what happens next? I mean, the trying to <laughs> try to frame you as a cheater doesn't go over as they had hoped. So, so what's the next move? 
So the next move, actually, we end up taking a break at the end of the summer. Um, everyone goes home for about a month. And when we come back, it's basically the first day of the fall semester. And I am approached by one of my teammates that, and she tells me that she had a conversation with one of the coaches, another assistant coach, um, who was asking her if Leanne and I were dating. And um, she had said- Welcome back to campus. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Essentially, that's what happened. And so I immediately was freaking out because things had been on the rocks with Coach Ryan, our head coach, and especially since the summer and some of the things he had said, some of the things that we had heard from teammates he was saying, um, it was the tension was building. And so I texted our team captain that night and I found out that she was also asked um, in a private meeting with the coach and that um, I asked her, you know, why is he asking this? Like, are we doing something really like trying to look at ourselves to see if we're doing something? Cause we're, we're trying really hard to not look like we're together. And she said, no, absolutely not at all. You guys are completely good. Um, I don't know why the coach, the coaches are asking. So Leana ends up going into his office um, the next day and approaching him on these conversations he's been having and he essentially denies everything. He tells us our teammates are lying, that our teammates are trying to cause drama and that we need to resolve this with a big team meeting. Oh, great. Yeah. So one of the coaches in the room said, that's not something that we're going to do. That's, that's not um, a good thing at all for just coming back to the season. So Leana ends up, um, we try to brush it off. We're continually having issues, not just with the academic coordinator, but getting on the court and getting cleared to play. And it really comes to a tipping point when on the same day, we are both asked for our gynecology records within an hour of each other. Um, Yeah. In... It was just, it was completely unrelated to us being able to play basketball. Um, For me, it was a follow-up of an appointment that I routinely had that she routinely knew about. And um, for Leona, it was something that was unrelated to that time that was from many, many months ago. And they wanted all of our records and... They wanted um, everything to be signed off and released, and we didn't give it to them because we, at that point, knew that we were being targeted, and no one else in the program had ever been asked to give up their gynecology records. <laughs> oh my so god! So it it starts to get it's it's getting worse and worse, and I mean I'm leaving out a lot of details. Well, but well, we'll we'll wait for the yeah. memoir to get the yeah. all the details, but you're doing a great you do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're doing a great job of 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 summarizing everything uh, up to this point. Yeah, so that ends up um kind of becoming a tipping point because when we didn't turn over the gynecology records, I am not able to get cleared for a different injury that has no bearing on my ability to play. So I'm basically uncleared 
sitting on the sidelines. Season is about to begin. It's September. And um, I just, I that's when I really had that thought you were talking about earlier. Like, mm-hmm. should I, I, this is not worth it anymore because things are just out of control. So um, I end up having meetings with the athletic director trying to get cleared, um, even with the coach who's not responsive to helping me get cleared. And ultimately, I go to the financial aid office to see if I can just stay at the school, finish my degree, and just go away quietly. And we had a really long conversation. I'll never forget it. But by the end, she was asking me, you know, you're an athlete. Why are you in here? What What is the source of this issue? And I just broke down crying. And I told her, my coaches think I'm dating my best friend. And I was still in denial to to anyone at the school that we were together. But um, it was the truth. We were dating and I didn't know how to navigate it. There was no one I felt safe talking to. And so she told me, this is something that you need to report to HR. And that ends up taking me to Title IX and eventually leading into everything that happened. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like it gets to a point where you have to take a step back and realize, you know, hey, if I move forward with all of this, it likely means the end of my basketball career. And it certainly means that this life that I'm living now is not only going to be over, but it's, it's about to be amplified in a way that you might not be ready for right i mean you have to i'm sure that was such a scary moment to realize okay i'm i'm living this essentially closeted life at this school and it's awful so do i take this step and leave behind the entire life i've ever known being a basketball player and uh and and being a, a straight basketball player essentially to to most people who know me uh, mm-hmm. And just become this incredibly visible person in the terms of LGBTQ rights in collegiate sports. I mean, it's essentially like you're <laughs> taking the biggest turn you could possibly take in oh my the gosh, history the history of the world. It was so big. It, it was so big in our eyes at that point, because this is 2014. This is before we have gay marriage. This is before we have visibility. This is before a lot of things that we recognize as today as being normal. Yeah. And but, but so you uh, yeah. but you do it. I mean, so so w- what happens next? I mean, th- this meeting with, you know, your uh, who, who who's the meeting with? The, what's the right term for this person you were talking to? Um, well, I was first talking to the financial aid officer and then I was directed eventually to Title IX and right. I spoke with the who university. Knew that the financial aid office could really she spurred no, a movement. She, honestly, she ever hears this. She really is an angel for that because if it wasn't for her, I actually thought what we were doing was illegal. That's how scared I was. And so just That's ingrained in you being in this culture. It's like it's it's so sad how you can be made to feel so wrong for something that is that is not wrong at all. You know, when you're this impressionable kid, you know, and, and you're up against these very powerful, uh, I think in most cases, men um, who are who are dictating things about your life. It's, it's very easy to feel like 
that you're in the wrong. And it's, it's such a beautiful thing to come out on the other side and be like, actually, no, and, and to do something about it. So you do. So the Title line stuff starts happening. And, and you know, as I, I suppose, as succinctly as you can, uh, walk me through what happens next, because it's, it's a, you know, the story is essentially just getting started in many ways. <laughs> it really is getting started. So we are told to come in for interviews back to back. And we do that. And after that, that is our final time that we ever step on our campus again, except to clean out our lockers. And we are told to go back to um, our apartments. And because we have classes with our teammates and we don't want to taint the integrity of the investigation, it's okay that we stay at home and we keep getting our scholarship checks because we are living off campus. So we're kind of isolated from the rest of the team and we're under like great mental dress. And we are told that they're gonna run a very, very thorough investigation and they're gonna interview all of these witnesses and the names we've given them and ask the questions we tell them to ask to get to the bottom of this. Oh and that it will just be resolved, just wait. So we do that, we wait for several months. Um, this happens in September and by November we finally are getting the conclusion of the investigation, which is that there is um, no evidence for anything that we claimed. And by then we have an attorney who we found on Google, because remember, we are inexperienced at this. So. Listen, I don't know how else. I, that's probably what I would do. I would just Google <laughs> attorney Los Angeles. Yeah, we um, that's it's an interesting story. But we are with this guy and he's communicating with Title IX in the university. And um, he's just keeping us updated with what's going on. But while this is going on, they're running investigations with um, their general counsel who's involved and even sitting in on some interviews. And you can kind of imagine what happens from there. It's We, we essentially have to file a lawsuit because we are um, told that there is no evidence and they can't do anything about it. And the only way for us to um, resolve any of this, our attorney tells us, is to take it public. At that point, our, our family didn't really know. My mom and my sisters, I think I'd filled them in as to what was going on. Um, Leanna hadn't really spoken to her mom about it. And it was, and I hadn't spoken to my dad about any of this. He thought I was just injured. So I mean, uh, Jesus, Haley, I like didn't even. I mean, there's so much going on. I didn't even think to ask like what you were t telling your family about all of this. I mean, that has to be just a completely. Oh I mean, that we, we, we don't have to get into it if you don't want to. Yeah. But it's just, I mean, it just I didn't even that didn't even cross my mind. I'm, I've been so focused on everything that you were going through personally. I mean, it's, it's cause that's, I mean, that's just the, the whole nother chapter to these stories. It's like, it affects so many people, but anyway, it well, let's, let's focus, let's focus on yeah. you. Let's focus on you. Well, no. And I mean, that's really great point you bring up because it felt like betrayal in so many ways. I had been seeing Leanna's family. Um, they're amazing. And we would go over there for dinner because they lived 15 minutes from campus um, here in LA. And so we would go visit them. She had a little sister and a younger brother and I was close with their family. They knew me as Liana's best friend. And then all of a sudden, you know, and, and we thought we could just get away with being best friends because we were teammates and 
no one would think anything of it. But then when it comes down to having to file this lawsuit publicly, we are. There's no way around that. Yeah, we're lesbian basketball players overnight. And I mean, it it just changed. It changed everything because TMZ picked it up um, the day it hit the docket. And they wrote this story and back to the hometown theme that's Uh-oh. very small. Oh, man, we, yo, you were you were a celebrity that day, I can imagine. Yeah, you know, I'm so much of a celebrity that my dad is messaging people on Facebook <laughs> oh, to no. erase their, their TMZ posts. <laughs> oh, God. And, and he is furious. Like, the conversation with my dad that I think I'm going to have about everything that happened and thinking that he, we can maybe laugh about it is really, really bad. I end up in tears and he tells me that I'm cut off and I'm only going to get any support for him if I come back to Illinois and start dating boys again, because this is a phase. And, um, I'm just like in the other room of our tiny apartment trying to deal with this without it impacting Liana. But, you know, all these things are interconnected. And when we lose our families, we start to lose a part of ourselves and our happiness and just our sense of peace and belonging to something. So that's when I feel like the greatest emotional just tornado oh my really God. hit us. I, I can't even imagine. And so the, the day that you receive word back that uh, they essentially found no wrongdoing, I mean, that's got to be just completely terrible. Yeah, it it was really terrible. There there wasn't really much we could do about it at that point um, from what we were told other than just move forward with it publicly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, in the time since, I mean, what has your relationship been like with all of this? I mean, I know that it, it's it's such an important story to talk about. And I think like you know, it's it's such a tricky thing because you look at a place like Pepperdine, who obviously has this, you know, religious history and this faith based thing, and it's 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 like this wall that gets put up around them that, it, for whatever reason, it feels like uh, these sort of religious institutions are immune to uh, any wrongdoing in a way that is so upsetting. And I don't know what you do about that other than continue to talk about it. It's funny, though, because a lot of them really are immune to wrongdoing because a lot of religious institutions, including Pepperdine, had Title IX exemptions to discriminate not only against women, like in positions of the ministry, but also against LGBT students. So this whole time they have a Title IX exemption to discriminate. And does that still exist to this day at Pepperdine? So a funny thing, um, after we filed our lawsuit a year later, um, 2015, the Department of Education is really having pressure put on them to release the list of all of the schools with Title IX exemptions. And it's basically like a shameless because we want students to know if if the schools they're going to have these exemptions to discriminate. Yeah. Pepperdine's president submitted a request to withdraw their exemption, claiming that they didn't ever knew it existed and asked them to be removed from the list. And so the Department of Education just ended up posting both the exemption and his withdrawal letter. But they essentially withdrew it. 
wow. after we filed the case. But you never know why it happened. Oh, I can only, I can't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, I mean, uh, to get to a, to get to a happier place here now, I mean, I know that, that you moved on from Pepperdine and have, have done, you know, exciting stuff since, I mean, what is your life like now? So I would say right now, my life is so much better. I'm in such a better place. And Leon and I just look back at this experience and we feel blessed to have had it because we can help now so many people. I've gotten so many messages from students, especially student athletes who reach out and who are going through these similar instances. And they're difficult a lot of the time because it's hard. They have pressures from, you know, their athletic staff and their families and they don't know how to navigate it. But um, we have like a whole, you know, set of tools on how to help them. We've um, been studying for the LSATs and I think we are finally going to take the LSAT and go to law school. Yes. Um, yeah, we've been we've been doing a lot of different work, though, throughout this time. We've been doing a ton of media and um, right now I'm working with OutSports. I just started uh, contributing to them and yes, we love writing sports. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's great. Yeah. What I, I sort of know, but for people who are listening, what sort of stuff are you going to be doing without sports? You're cause I, we're recording this uh, a couple days before pride in LA and you're doing something uh, with them this weekend, right? Yes. Um, I'm actually going to be speaking for OutSports Pride. And then also I'm going to be doing a series of interviews for a lot of our um, other speakers because we're trying to, um, you know, really just build the platform up. I help them with their social media, but also I'm a contributor. So I write stories as much as I can fit into my schedule. Um, but I love it. It's It's really rewarding to, you know, get in touch with these athletes and help them. And I mean, I, I think that's, that's the beautiful ending to the story. Not that, I mean, not that, you know, the st not that your story is over by any means, but in, in a way it must feel like a chapter has kind of closed or at least is coming close to being closed. Right. I mean, and I, I think the beauty of it is now you get to have your voice for really the first time. Right. I mean, when you were at Pepperdine, you really didn't get to be yourself. And, and now here you are living this wonderful, beautiful life in L.A. with your girlfriend and you're doing all this amazing stuff. I mean, it's you know, sometimes you have to go through all this crap to get to where you are now. I mean, are you able to look back and appreciate it at all? Yes, I absolutely am able to appreciate it. Um, it makes me really grateful to have Leana and that we were able to make it out together because just going through our experience and even up to the trial, we had like so many girls split up and were too afraid to come out of it on the other side together. So I'm very, very blessed to have the only person that mattered throughout this entire experience. And I hope that I can help with Leona educate others to how to navigate this because this problem is not going away anytime soon. Yeah, that is exactly right. And, and I think that you two having to go through what you did and, and really coming out on the other end as trailblazers is going to make things 
uh, easier for for people moving forward. So I, I I commend both of you for everything that you're doing and for going through what you did because I I think in many ways, like I said, it's you know it, it takes somebody to have to kind of go through it first to make it better for people moving forward. So uh, you know I, I I think I and everybody listening. You know, thank you for having to go through that shit. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And oh. yeah, I really appreciate it. I do hope that um, things will continue to get better. We just have to continue amplifying people's voices and especially people of color, women of color, yes. those who are, you know, marginalized in so many more ways. It's really important that we give them a platform to speak. 100%. Well, Haley, thank you so much for your time. It's been so fun. I, I look forward to hopefully continuing this relationship and catching up with you as you, you know, move through this world and continue uh, doing all the great things you're doing. So thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Dan. that is it thank you so much for listening thank you of course to Haley for her time you know I warned you that her story was a doozy didn't I you know don't say that I didn't tell you what to expect just crazy stuff it's so insane and it makes you so mad and frustrated and it makes you feel so powerless for Haley and Liana both but the two of them have handled all of this with such grace and such maturity and like I sort of said to Haley probably more grace and maturity than I would have handled the situation with you know they've kind of come out on the other side you know with laser focus in terms of activism and telling their story as honestly and truthfully as possible and I I, I think it's so commendable and you know like I said I just loved the conversation with Haley. I, I hope you got as much out of it as I did. So moving forward, I, I can't wait to see what they do and how their stories unfold because there's still so much to tell and uh, I can't wait for that memoir. I mean, I, I need an Amazon pre-order as quickly as possible. Uh, again, thank you, Haley. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. It's Pride Month, baby. Let's celebrate. More episodes to come. Thank you for listening. Daniel Trainer for Same Team signing off. Bye. Bye.